This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is Daniel Howitt's interview with the director for Goodnight Oppie, Ryan White. This is Delta Launch Control. Go for launch. Three, three, two, two, one. Engine start and liftoff. Yeah, it's only a robot but she becomes a family member. Our whole objective was to build two solar-powered rovers that could survive three months on Mars. And the pressure on the team is really phenomenal. Was Mars once a green world with living things and, and blue oceans? This is the very first time we breathe life into the rover. It's just a box of wires, right? But you end up with this cutish looking robot that has a face. Oh, it's alive! It's time to fly. Ladies and gentlemen, you are privileged to be in one of the most exciting rooms on Earth at the moment. Rover Dark. The signal from the vehicle is solid and strong. Opportunity is on Mars. What do we do next? Let's hit the road, pedal to the metal, and go see Mars. We see these dust devils, and we were concerned that would be the way that she died. Mars was a spacecraft graveyard when we flew. I don't think anyone expected the rover to survive all these disasters. You get this feeling of, we're basically invincible. Through this robot, we are on this incredible adventure together. Humans are capable of forming a connection and a bond to a robot. She rewrote the history books. Good night, Opportunity. Well done. Ryan, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for chatting with me about Good Night, Oppie. I loved it. Appreciate the time. Thank you. It's my pleasure. So you premiered at Telluride and, you know, received rave reviews uh, out of the festival. I'm wondering, did you have some good luck peanuts on hand before the premiere? It's very funny you ask that because Amazon did play on that. They were giving out peanuts to the people standing in line, but I didn't get any myself. They were gone by the time I got to the theater, but the audience did have them. So I'm sure that didn't hurt. Yeah, yeah. I, I was going to say, whether you had them or not, it seems like it worked because the reception was wonderful. Well, what I love most about Goodnight Oppie is just this like sort of unbridled optimism that's throughout and this joy of exploration. 
And in some ways, it's a departure from from some other films that you've done, which are very important, but maybe a little bit heavier subject matter. So I was wondering how you came to direct Goodnight Oppie. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of my filmography is much heavier um, than this one is. And I'm always drawn to journeys and adventures. And usually that's me going along for an adventure with someone while something crazy is happening in their life. And often that event is heavy or it is painful. Uh, and my interest in Goodnight Oppie was no different. I was pitched the idea uh, by Amblin and Film 45. Uh, and I remembered the tweet going viral in 2018 when Opportunity said, my battery is low and it's getting dark, or at least that's how it was translated by NASA. Uh, and I remember feeling that that gut punch of this idea that like Wally on another planet was in trouble. Um, but I didn't have the light bulb to make a film about it. And I didn't know anything about NASA having documented the process until I sat down at a dinner with Amblin and Film 45 and they pitched me the idea of the rover that was supposed to last for 90 days but survived for 15 years. And of course, right away, I knew it was opportunity. And they had already gotten access to... Uh, the archive from NASA, which was almost a thousand hours of Opportunity's life from the moment she was just an idea in someone's head all the way through her funeral, for lack of a better term, um, at the end. And they showed me that footage of the funeral. And I remember thinking like, oh my God, look at the emotion on these people's faces. I was expecting scientists and engineers who would just you know, click off after a mission ended and click on to a new one. And I was watching this wake of, of people really devastated to give up on this mission and to give up on this robot and say, like, she's not coming back. Um, and so I knew there was something special there. Just having seen the end of the footage, I hadn't seen anything of her life yet. Uh, and I knew it was a checking a lot of the boxes of what I love to do as a documentary filmmaker, which was just go on some insane journey with someone. And in this case, it was a something, or maybe some would describe her as a someone. Um, but it was that same type of feel, like, let's go on this journey together. I want to be a part of it. You've watched them in unforgettable adventures, love affairs, and tragedies. Now it's time to hear their own remarkable stories. From the makers of Death of a Rockstar and Death of a Sports Star, this is Death Ready. of a Film Star. Starring Heath Ledger, Marilyn Monroe, Chadwick Boseman, Robin Williams, Carrie Fisher, and Bruce Lee. Search for Death of a Film Star in your podcast app. You've seen them tell stories. Now it's time to tell theirs. Well, like you said, there's a, there's a thousand, close to a thousand hours of footage. Where where do you begin? What's the process of shaping this story and and combing through these hundred? How do you, how do you find the through lines to to discover what your story is? Well, I'm very, I'm very ADD and want to be on the go all the time. And that's why I think I love documentary filmmaking is because I'm constantly on an airplane with my camera flying to some 
country or state and just diving into it, like with no plan whatsoever, just run and gun style documenting something. And I think this documentary was very different, somewhat serendipitously, in that it began, that dinner that I was telling you about was March 12th, 2020. So literally the next day after the dinner, we were told we can't leave our homes. So not only did all my Verite productions shut down, but this was the new project that I'd said night, yes to the night previous. Uh, and I had to slow down because I was stuck in my home. So it forced me to really plan out this way, this film in a way that I don't normally do in my docs. Normally it's like, find the story in the edit room and I love that. This one we actually wrote a screenplay for. Uh, and the idea from the very beginning at that first dinner, I said to Amblin, like, if, if we're gonna do this, can we, can we take the audience to Mars in a way that has never happened, like in a photo real way? Uh, and that was when the conversations began with Industrial Light and Magic. And that all had to be scripted anyway. You can't wing visual effects of that scope. So it really forced me to settle down for that summer and, and script out this story in a much more traditional screenwriting way that when COVID subsided a little bit and I could jump back on, on planes with my cameras, we had the skeleton of the story. Can you take me a little bit deeper into that? I'm just fascinated. I didn't know you wrote a script. That's fascinating. How do you how do you find the pieces to build that script? Is that through combing through footage or is it through how did you know what the story beats were? Because we did dozens of pre-interviews. That was the first thing we did in March and April is we couldn't sit down in rooms with people, but we needed to start collecting the story anyway. So uh, my producers, Jess Hargrave and Grace Othout, did pre-interviews with almost four dozen people who were involved in the mission. And they were really long interviews, like a few hours long. Um, and people were just like cathartically laying it out because they hadn't talked. The robot had just died the year prior and then they had moved on. So I was watching these interviews where people were really laying their hearts out and they were telling the stories of these missions. So, uh, you know, in watching all of that down, that was like my research. I read a bunch of books as well about the mission or whatever else existed, but it was really in the pre-interviews where it was like able to figure out what the major story beats that kept coming up over and over. Or even if it was only like one person mentioning an amazing story that I only heard from one person, it would be like, we had a whole team watching down archival and be saying like, someone told me this story about spirit going missing on Soul 18 and how devastating it was. Like, keep your eyes peeled for that. And then a logger or an editor that was watching down the archival minute by minute would say like, oh my God, I found ABBA's SOS being played. Uh, and then I would use that to, to start scripting out a scene that could then press go to Industrial Light Magic. And the other component of that was I had the Rover Diaries, which is what Angela Bassett reads in the film. So it was reading all of those down and putting them into the script, like using that voice of NASA to be our our guide, so to speak. So I didn't have any filmed interviews with people yet, but I had the voice of NASA from these emotional diaries and I could start using that to tell all of the big story beats. That's awesome. Wow. It was That's fun. really cool. Yeah. And obviously being produced by Amblin is is pretty amazing. And I, I've heard you mention in other interviews that you did get some notes from Spielberg himself. 
I hear directors talk all the time about studio notes. Some are more receptive than others. Sometimes you can roll your eyes a little bit. Um, when you get a note from Spielberg, do you just automatically, oh, yes, I, yes, I will do <laughs> I will do what you ask. Or what's what's your reaction when you get that note? Yeah, well, I should I should I should re-term it probably because Spielberg is a director and I think directors know how to give directors notes because we know what it's like to field notes. And this was very late in the game that he watched the film. So I should probably use the term feedback more than mm. notes. There was nothing saying like, I think you could have done this better or that better. And I'm sure if that had happened, that would have crushed me. And But I, of course, would have taken the note. But I got feedback very late in the game. And it was one of the best. It came from my producers, Daryl and Justin. They had a conversation with him and they typed up his notes after he had watched it. And it was a bunch of just really wonderful things to hear from one of your your heroes. And I won't I won't go into all the details because I feel like it should remain semi-private. But they they with the way Justin and Daryl always summarize it is like he loved the film and it made him cry. <laughs> wow. Making Spielberg cry. That's gotta feel good. Yeah, and I mean, E.T. is my favorite film from growing up. It was my biggest model in making this film. And I know, you know, this film is not E.T. and it will never be E.T., but I wanted that type of tone, at least in making it. And it was very on brand for Amblin, this subject matter. So I feel very privileged that I was welcomed into that family with open arms and really like guided in a way, you know, to meet people like Industrial Light and Magic or Mark Mangini, our sound designer, they were always willing to introduce me in those conversations, but also very, very deferential to my vision as a documentary director that I wanted this to be tied to authenticity. And I didn't want it to be sci-fi, no matter how entertaining that could be. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon. So good. One one last question for you real quick. One thing that's so amazing throughout the film is how NASA pairs like human spirit with scientific necessity. And, uh, you know, things like wake up songs, which as far as I'm aware, aren't scientifically necessary, but obviously just really bring this humanity to it. And I was wondering, 
if there's something to that idea that can be applied to filmmaking, this there's a lot of things you have to do that are necessary to you know set up shots. But is there anything you learned from this project about pairing just humanity and spirit with necessity that you might bring into future projects? It's interesting because I never like to liken filmmaking to a to a space mission, but I can't help I can't help it. Um, you know, I know what these people are pulling off is on a completely different scale than what it's like for me <laughs> to put out one of my documentaries into the world. But they really are analogous in a lot of ways. And, uh, you know, I'm, I've heard Steve Squires, who's, you know, the main character in my film, we call him our Geppetto character. I've heard it. I've heard him say it a million times, but I really love it because I relate to it where he says, like, I get this title of principal investigator. I know how to do a tiny fraction of what is involved in making this mission work. Like my intelligence is a tiny, tiny part of what of a whole. Uh, and I feel like that as a director, too. Like, I, you know, I think we get a lot of credit for our films and we take it, but there are so many creative collaborators that work on a film whose fingerprints aren't everywhere and whose geniuses without which would not make, would not make a whole. And so um, I felt, and I also feel that feeling of vulnerability and really loving something that you've worked on and then having to like put it out into the world and it's not yours anymore. And it's totally up to how it's perceived by people and it can be knocked down and it can be perceived as a failure or a success. Uh, and so I do, I do relate to what you're saying. And I felt like that was part of the idea behind doing the going big in this film. The motto of Jet Propulsion Laboratory is dare mighty things, right? Like they're trying things that they are told are impossible and they often fail. And the two missions leading up to Spirit and Opportunity did fail and it was very publicly embarrassing for the Mars program. Um, and we felt like if we're gonna make a film that's about these big swings in technology and scientific advancement and planetary exploration, that we should swing big in the innovation and the film as well. And that's you know why we're working some, with someone like Industrial Light and Magic or, or Mark Mangini to do the sound design. Um, and I feel like those types of creative collab col collaborations are the parts that I end up loving most about my film in the end, are like spending late hours with my composer and then finally feel like we, we nailed it, or working with Mangini and coming in a morning after he's worked all night and seeing how he reworked a scene and something I could have never conceived of that came from some weird you know synapse in his brain that he has that I don't have. So, and I think these missions are very are very similar in that way. It's a collective effort of very different talents and ways of thinking that come together to create a whole. That's awesome. Well, Ryan, thank you so much. Thank you for the film. I can't wait for more people to see it and best of luck. Thank you. Take care. Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to Daniel Howitt's interview with the director for Goodnight Oppie, Ryan White, here on the Next Best Picture podcast. Goodnight Oppie will be available to stream on Prime Video on November 23rd and is up for your consideration for this year's Academy Awards for Best Documentary Feature, Best Visual Effects, 
and Best Original Score. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture Podcast. We are proud to be part of the Young Green Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support. But you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today, such as Liz Stokes of the Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday.